What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the New Wave Podcast. On this week's episode, we have Willie Lalonde of Standard Pesco. Willie's got a good story for everyone, as he actually started off as an employee in the pest control space. And through this process, he was able to develop his sales skills, learn the ins and outs of a business before he decided to dive right in and start his own pest control company. Throughout this episode, we'll talk about the nuances of doing business in different provinces, the startup costs that come with it, um, the uh, the trials and tribulations of what it means to actually have a business, have people depend on you, and how risky and intense that is. Willie does a great job of describing that, but he also does a great job of describing why entrepreneurship is so great at the end of it. So without further ado, let's dive in the pool, baby. All right, we are live. Will, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. I'm excited to, to be on and catch up with you. Yeah, it's been a while, man. Happy to have you on the pod. What's it like out in Alberta right now? It's good. It's it's cold. Uh, I was out today for a couple hours working with a technician. It's about minus eight, windy, snowing. We still got a couple feet of snow here. A um, little different than the uh, Ontario winters that I'm used to, but a good place it's nice and sunny it's it's i was in vancouver before this where you get a lot of cloud cover and rain here um last summer it it didn't rain once um while we were out servicing never had to reschedule anything or not work because of the rain and just sunny all the time which is it's great yeah that's not bad minus eight in march that's probably pretty good for calgary right now so what's it like so you moved to alberta vancouver is the did you find the business environments a bit different in Alberta from Vancouver and Ontario? Yeah, the main differences that I find here is it's a much more business friendly uh, place in terms of provincial regulation. Um, I find it a lot easier to do things here compared to BC and Ontario, um, which it's a bit more challenging to do things. And the main two no- differences that I find are the taxes, first of all, are extremely friendly for businesses in Alberta. Um, so you only have 5% GST purchase taxes here instead of uh, 13 or 14 or whatever it is in BC and Ontario. So that makes a big difference when you're selling products and services, just because it's a smaller bill for the customer um, and, and you have to give less to the government. And then the other difference I've found out here is the, just the cost to do business is so much more friendly in a place like Alberta. Um, versus BC or Ontario. I haven't worked in any of the other provinces, but in those places, it's so expensive to get office space is, is crazy. Um, if you want to live near a city, it's extremely expensive. Um, things are congested, prices of fuel. So you have additional taxes on fuel. So it's a lot more expensive in those pro- uh, provinces and that's a big cost for the business. So just all those things add up to it being easier to do business especially like for me we we self-finance the whole business um and and don't have any investors and we're hoping to keep it that way and when you're paying for all the things out of pocket it's it's much more helpful to have lower rent costs um lower fuel costs all those different things it's a huge huge blessing 
I can't say I've worked anywhere other than Ontario, but I have heard Alberta is pretty pro-business. So that is good to hear. It's a good place to start up business. Yeah. So you said lower taxes, the overall cost of doing business is lower. And then it seems like, like you had great weather last summer because there was no rain. You didn't have to reschedule. So were all these things um, kind of back of mind when you chose to kind of launch in Alberta? Yeah, those things were all factors. The biggest one would have been just the the cost of living and cost to do business here was much cheaper. Um, we could make our capital go a lot further than if we had to, had to set up shop in Vancouver. And the other thing is Reese and I were in Calgary a year ago or two years ago working and we both just loved it here. It's a great city, um, extremely mm-hmm. friendly people. Um, it, it's I, I saw it was ranked the most livable city in, in North America. It's got the most, uh, the longest walking paths of any city in North America, a bunch of different factors that just make it a great city for young people. And I actually see this place really booming over the next couple of years. The economy is diversifying quite a bit away from oil. Um, There's a lot of high tech jobs coming into the city, different things like that. And if you just look at the perspective, especially for young people that have the freedom to go anywhere, which it seems to me that more and more people every day are being given that decision as offices shut down permanently and people transition to remote work you look at your options in Canada if you want to live in a big city where you know there's at least a million people or so and stuff to do um, you can go to Vancouver which is beautiful you're by the ocean the weather's great but I mean we lived in a 500 square foot condo by the ocean and it was more expensive than I had a, a four bedroom house out here that we were running the business out of and that was cheaper than my 500 square foot condo in Vancouver. It was 15 minute drive to downtown. Um, and then, yeah, we moved again to an even less expensive place. So you're looking at about 50% the cost in rent for an equivalent place, which is a huge impact. You have lower taxes um, when you buy things like get gas and groceries and whatnot, that's cheaper. And everyone just has the opportunity to live right in the city center or extremely close within walking distance and not pay sky high prices like in Toronto. Nice, that's, uh, that's quite the sales pitch for uh, Calgary, Alberta there. Um, Willie, how about let's just take it from the top. How about let's, uh, let's get a little background on yourself and what you're up to these days. Sure, yeah, so I worked in uh, pest control for three summers while I was in university, first year, second year, third year. Um, just stuck with it all the way through, I really liked it had good experiences in the industry and, and really had no reason to leave. Um, and then after I graduated, I did some consulting work in the industry and helped a company build out a sales program. That's really what I specialize in is residential sales for pest control, help them do that out in Vancouver. And then just realized I, at this point had spent so long in the industry. I was really well connected. I know lots of owners down in the U S up here in Canada. And I talked to them on the phone all the time just stay in touch. There's a lot of friendly, good people in the industry. And I thought, you know, I've I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur and and start my own business and try and build, build my own asset that can eventually be hands off, but still, you know, provide me with benefits of having somewhere to go people to meet something to dedicate my my thinking to and and some time and capital to. And I just thought I'm going to start a pest control company with my partner, Reese. Um, so we, we just pulled the trigger. We moved out to Calgary and, and we set up shop here last June and have been running and building the business ever since. 
That's awesome that you were able to, you know, work in the industry and kind of transition a bit over to a consulting role for another company. And then finally, after that, make the jump to, you know, starting your own company. Can you kind of walk us through what motivated you to make that final jump and that transition and just kind of talk about how first, you know, being an employee, kind of self-employed, but then, you know, the difference between becoming an entrepreneur and having all the decisions afterwards? Yeah. And also just um, when you mentioned pest control, you said you really liked it. Is it like the business model? Is it like you love crushing pests of people's lawns, making sure they have beautiful greenery and landscape? Like what's about what is it about the business you love? Yeah. So these these questions kind of tie into each other. Um, I, I was always on the sales side, so I never actually worked in actual pest control. I, I never killed a bug. Um, or anything like that for the years that I worked in the industry. I'd never, you know, been in one of the trucks or anything like that. I simply just sold the stuff um, and was fairly detached with the process. And so I worked my way up. I started as a sales rep and then I was a team leader, helped oversee a team of salespeople, train them. And then I uh, ran a team with uh, my business partner, Eric. We ran a team and built that up. And then I made the transition to consulting for another company on the sales side. And it was just to me, the next logical step, like I'm always pushing to progress. And, you know, I can't, I can't really talk too credibly on, on success and, and what that takes, but I can definitely shine some light on the different failures I've had and the mistakes I've made. There's no shortage of those and, and no shortage of lessons there. And I just like that kind of always putting myself in a position that I wasn't ready for and that I'd most likely fail in, but it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't kill me. Um, so that was okay. And the next step after that, I'd kind of hit the ceiling in the industry as an employee was to, you know, take control of one of these things and, and become an owner and, and learn that side of the business. And that really opened up an entire world for me, right? When you're just in sales in an organization or you're just in your division, whatever you do, there's a whole host of other things, other people doing things that, I wasn't aware of ordering from suppliers, negotiating with suppliers, you know, dealing with all the, it's a highly regulated industry. So dealing with insurances and regulations and all these different things that you need to do. Um, and just exposing myself to that side of the business was extremely exciting for me. And it opened up a lot of learning experience. And then to touch on kind of what I like about the industry for me, I have no particular passion for, for killing bugs and rodents and things like that. I, I hate bugs myself. Like if I ever see anything in the house, I, I douse it with pesticides. I spray it. I don't want to have spiders and ants and things like that. I'm not a fan, but I'm more just passionate about the business model. I can see myself being happy in pretty much any industry, um, as long as I'm not doing you know harmful or bad things that I, I don't feel good about morally. Aside from those, like I like in any in industry and I'll have a lot of fun learning about it, understanding how the model works. And I just like the model and pest control. It's a good recurring business. If you do it correctly, you know, you're building relationships with customers. I work with the same people over and over again. I, I know them, they know me, they know all of my employees, they like us. And we really just delight them with the service. And in an industry that's known for poor customer service and poor service quality, to be able to shock people by how nice we are and how well we treat them and, and how high quality our work is. I really like that. And that gives us an edge. And then also on the accounting side and finance, I'm interested in that stuff. And 
this is a quite quite an interesting business on those metrics just the way it works of you know spending money to get customers and actually registering a loss when you add a new customer but then seeing that payoff down the road as you you know cash flow that customer and they pay you every quarter every month or twice a year however their payment payment plan is structured they pay you on an ongoing basis and i, I really like that about the model because you can slowly build you can lay the bricks and you're not you know resetting and starting over like you would be if you were selling an individual product that people only buy once like if you sell lawnmowers you have to go find a new customer you know they might buy one every five or ten years but for the most part you're finding new customers every single time i prefer the idea of a business where you're servicing the same people over and over again and you develop those relationships and you really reap the rewards in the long run if you do good work and retain those people um that was a that was a great answer and you know we've had a couple people on the podcast where they speak about you know taking that first dive into being an entrepreneur and you know they either have a background in sales or maybe they know the industry a little bit but when everything else comes into play you know you mentioned now i got to look at the accounting and finance i got to deal with suppliers insurance brokers there's so many more things to it in when it comes to actually taking that next step to being the entrepreneur but i think that kind of goes back to what you were saying in terms of you know you had reached kind of the cap as an employee and to have that unlimited upside you know more things have to happen right mm -hmm. yeah it makes it more exciting when you kind of own the underlying asset um i know ang and i were talking before the podcast got started about that and the thing that i never liked about the industry was as a sales rep or as a manager you're going out and you're starting at zero every single year you're selling all these customers and then you get paid yeah you get paid great and you get paid more than if you're an owner um and you realize kind of all those gains right up front but then next year comes along and you're starting over and it's it's a very tough cycle and it's it's something that never sat well with me um and I always really, really struggled with. I prefer the idea of slowly building, but not starting over every mm -hmm. single time. Um, I find that so much more appealing because you're really building something that's going to last for the long run. And you know, even if I if I never sell again and stopped working now, like my business will continue to cash flow for years and years um, and continue to make money. And for me, that's really appealing. For sure, that recurring revenue is a big thing. And in terms of something like pest control, I know summers are definitely the busier months. That's when people are outside. That's when more bugs are out. But what's your sales strategy at the company? How do you go about, you know, finding new customers? Yeah, so we kind of take a multi-pronged approach to that. Um, I think it's important never to rely on one channel of new customers in any business. I think that's a extremely dangerous place to be in just from networking in the business community. And I, I've got to know lots of owners over the last couple of years while working and traveling around. And if you rely on one source of, of customers, like you look at restaurants, for example, right now, well, they're open here, but in, in Toronto, where everything's still closed, your one source of revenue and your one source of customers is people walking in off the street. And then you see COVID forcing people to adapt, find new ways you know, to do delivery, curbside pickup, all these different channels that they're getting money coming into the business. But a lot of them just weren't able to adapt in time that one revenue stream and that one source of, of customers gets cut off and it's it's game over really fast. Um, so I think it's for us just about balancing that out 
not relying on, you know, a lot of companies just do door to door. I think that's pretty, it's risky and it's not the best way to approach this. Some people, they just rely on word of mouth. I don't like that at all because you're not super in control of it. Yeah, you can do a good job, but it's not something that you can track. It's not something that you can pour gas on the fire too easily. That's more of a long-term, you know, you've been doing it for 30 years. You have a personal relationship with all your customers, but it doesn't work at scale. So for us, it's about just attacking every single different place that we can add on customers, learning the metrics in terms of, you know, what's the cost in terms of labor, um, skill sets, and then marketing budget to, to move into those channels. And then what's the payoff? What's the expectancy for these customers? How long are they going to last? What percentage chance is it that they're going to cancel at each service? Because uh, we don't do any contract work. We, we approach it, we find it, it's the better way to let people decide if they want us to, to come out or not. And that way they're excited for us and they want to do business. But for example, I, I had a call with a guy, we got about five hotels added on the other day, 200 and something units over one phone call. So like, that's a great channel. If you can get in with, he was a property manager. If you can get in there, um, we sold some commercial accounts and a, a manager that I brought on for, from another company had a ton of expertise in that space. So just going into businesses saying, hey, I'm here with Standard Pest, just letting you know we're taking care of the guy next door. Um, if we can get you taken care of, I'd love to do that. We do great work, et cetera, et cetera. Whatever the sales pitch, and that's more of a slow nurture the leads, hand out business cards. Anyone in a commercial con complex is paying month to month. So if they like you, they can always make that switch. And then obviously, you know, our bread and butter is, is the door to door and, uh, flyering all kinds of different things in the residential space bit of background i was working with willie the one summer of 2019 doing door-to-door -door pest control and i can say it was an absolute hell of an experience if you are young and you don't and you're looking for a job that you're looking for some on the frontline sales experience there's nothing like door-to-door -door selling yeah, it's pretty, it's, it's different, right? As I say, like I was on the phone with a guy and I, I sold five hotels, 220 something units. And I was on the phone for probably less than 10 minutes with this guy. Um, and that was the first time I'd talked to him or met him. It was very simple. That was a warm lead that was given to me from another owner that it was outside of his service region. He owns a company in BC. So that's very easy, right? And there's that type of selling, which is important. But for door to door, the challenging part is every single person that you're talking to has no idea who you are. They didn't ask you to come by. And most of the time they don't want to talk to you. So it's pretty raw. It's, it's pretty challenging. You know, you'll get doors slammed in your face. All, you name it. I've had it happen to me. But yeah, I, I would agree with that. It's a rewarding experience. It really helped me kind of be a less shy person, come out of my shell, learn some communication skills. And just learn that it's okay to ask for things. You know, squeaky wheel gets the grease and learning that and kind of implementing that in life is an important thing. So especially for shy people and introverts and whatnot, I encourage you, send me a message on Instagram. We're always looking for sales reps and uh, I can connect you with either myself or someone else in the industry that's hiring pretty much anywhere in Canada. I know people run in companies. Uh, it seems like uh, this business is pretty pretty built upon like relationships and your brand. So um, I guess you would probably have some prior relationships when you first started um, Standard Pesco. But like, what were the early challenges of getting that up and running? Because you don't have really that reputation. You might have some relationships. So let's talk about those early days. How do you get the brand out there? How do you hire a team to kind of 
you know, represent you guys and start to grow the business from scratch? Yeah. So, I mean, for us, we came out to Alberta, so we actually didn't have any prior relationships. Like I didn't know anybody here um, mm-hmm. whatsoever. Like I don't have any family or friends or anything that live in the city. So we were really starting from zero and, you know, in terms of the early days, I'm glad I did it the way I did it. Um, we left our jobs and just decided, Hey, you know what, we're going to, we're going to own our own pest control company. Let's do this. And we kind of threw all of our chips on the table and, and said, we're going to make a go of this. We're either going to be successful or we're going to go down in flames, but there was no, you know, dipping our toes in the pond. And I have, you know, I know people that I, I talk to and whatnot that they have businesses, you know, they might do it on the side, you know, do some yard work, things like that, where they're just getting their toes in the water. And it's very easy to, to, to stop when you're in that situation and you have that plan B and you can turn back. And for me, I definitely would have, once I started about two months into this, it was way harder than I expected on all all fronts and just challenges I never expected. Um, and really it was, you know, Elon Musk says starting a business is like eating glass and staring into the abyss. And I really do agree with that. And I, I really understood that a lot in the summer. And for me, just because I'd taken everything I had and same with my business partner and we put the money on the table, locked it up. Like we bought vehicles, we hired employees, we went all in on this business there was no turning back. There was no option. And for me, that really unlocked another gear where had I been half in, half out, or if I was doing something else, I would have turned back and said, no way, this is way too hard. I'll leave this for, for tougher people than myself. But just being all in and being committed and having no choice actually gave me a lot of freedom. In the, It took away freedoms in the sense that I couldn't do anything else. I could no longer think of other business ideas. I could no longer say, hey, you know what? This path might be easier. Let's go that way. So it took away a lot of things. But in that, I, sound, I found a sense of freedom that I'd never really had. Everything in my life, I'd been kind of half in, half out. You know, you reach a point where things get difficult and it's easy to quit and pivot or move on to the next thing. And just being like totally locked in, totally committed. I unlocked a gear and just, you know, got to work and really put a lot of sweat equity in. And I knocked a lot of doors. I knocked a lot of doors. Like I added our, our customer base. It was Reese and myself. We had one other employee and he sold some, but the vast majority of it was all us and just going out every single day and sweating it out in the hot sun. We were selling late into the fall. It was cold. It would, you know, be snowing when we were selling and we just didn't want to be out there but we had no choice and we persevered and we were able to really expand and grow and, and it was good, but it was a struggle for sure. I love that answer. And it's funny because I was going to ask you, like, what were you most afraid of when you first started Standard Pesco? And it seems like nothing, like you're going down with the ship, like you were all in it to win it. And um, something that Ang and I talk about a lot, which is kind of came up in your answer is like, by you deciding to go full in, you know, drop all the money into the business, you made one decision to make a thousand others where you don't have to think about those other businesses, those backup plans. You are going to like give this a stab your hundred percent. And like, there's nothing else to think about. So I really, I appreciate that approach because it's, it's super risk, uh, not risk averse, super risky. Yeah. <laughs> nuts. But uh, I, I'm happy to hear that it's uh, working out so far. Yeah. It's definitely kind of a, a, thrilling route to go and it's been an adventure from you know start till now 
it's been nonstop, you know, fires to put out. You hear all this stuff from entrepreneurs on podcasts and things and in books, you know, you're putting out fires, you're working all the time. You're always on, never off. All that stuff is, is so true. I just never really understood the extent of it. And I guess I never appreciated the extent of that being the case and the reality of running a business. And I quickly, I got an appreciation for it. Now, when I look at other people with businesses, I see people on your podcast that I know from school um, and they're out doing things, buying businesses, starting companies. I respect it immensely. I get how hard it is. I was always kind of, you know, working for people. I was in very comfortable jobs, like door to door is hard, but you also make a boatload of money. So you can't really complain. Um, that's why you're doing it. And it was always easy for me to look at owners and say, oh, you know, do things this way, do things this way. Oh, you're doing it wrong and be in a sense judgmental. And I didn't like that. And I, I was telling Ang before the podcast, that's really why I got started. I was just fed up with thinking how other people should do it. And I thought it was time to try it myself. But yeah, it's challenging. It's hard. It, it takes commitment. It takes sacrifice. I mean, I've worked close to a year now on this business. Um, Reese and I, we haven't paid ourselves a dollar working long hours, working for free. Everything we've got kind of goes back into the businesses, buying gear, buying tools, getting office space, getting new trucks outfitted and expanding, investing in marketing. It's something else, but it's, it's fun being committed and kind of in a battle till the very end and in a corner because you can surprise yourself what you'll do. That's an unreal mentality. I love that. It just, you got to go all in and yeah, as you said, you see all these people, you hear, hear these stories that, you know, they're working 80 hour weeks, building your own business. And from the outside, it's just like, could it really be that hard? But yeah, it's, it's really that hard. And I know obviously door to doors, going back to that real quick, it's massive part of your business and you've had quite a bit of experience in it, but what was COVID like with the pandemic going in door to door? Did you see hesitancy when people come to your door thinking, you know what, stay away from me? Or what was that like? Um, you run into some for sure. And there's some impact. Um, but on the, I was working in the sales side when COVID hit. I was working out in Vancouver, right in, right in kind of when COVID was getting started in April is when I started knocking doors out there. I actually found it to be beneficial because in door to door, your biggest challenge is people not being home. And all of a sudden, everybody was home and it was extremely easy to make sales. I, I sold a lot of accounts and made a lot of money doing that out there just because instead of three out of 10 homes being around during the day, it was eight out of 10, nine out of 10 um, being home, which was just an absolute game changer. And then also people being more receptive when people were kind of afraid they were locked up in their homes, um, they, they couldn't see friends and family they're happy to talk to someone when you come to the door you just keep your distance if they want you put a mask on they were excited to talk versus when they're in the hustle and bustle of their life they just worked eight hours at the job they hate and they're coming home they were stuck in traffic for an hour in an upset mood and then you come by and try and sell them pest control they're not super receptive to that they just want to you know park in front of the tv with a beer and call it a night um, and kind of enjoy themselves in the evening hours and not be disturbed by people like you. So that just totally eliminated that challenge. But then on the commercial side, now that, you know, we're branching into that, there's impact, there's less customers, a lot of the restaurants got wiped out in Calgary here. I know we had kind of limited COVID restrictions, there were no mask rules until September, or October. I mean, you can go to restaurants and casinos and things right, right now, like stuff's open. 
but for a while it was closed and that took a lot of businesses down. And when the restaurant goes under, all of a sudden they don't need pest control anymore. And that's one of the main drivers of commercial pest control. So I think everybody felt that a little bit, but being residential focused, COVID hasn't, it hasn't really impacted us. It's not a, it's not a huge problem. With the residential, I wonder though, um, I imagine, I don't know if you would really have any numbers to prove this or look at it, but like with everyone being uh, at home all the time, working from home, a lot of people are like looking at improving their house, renovation. So I feel like pest control, it's another thing where they're like, most years wouldn't really think about it. I'm not at home too much, but now they're like, man, my lawn looks like garbage. This guy's offering pest control. Fuck it. Like, why not? I'm going to, I'm already doing my back deck. Might as well get a nice lawn while I'm at it. Yeah, totally. It was, it was a lot of that people were, as you say, spending. And I did find, especially with the policies in, in Canada, Ang would be better at, at talking about this. This is just totally from my experience. People seem to be doing well. People seem to have money, even though Alberta has been in a multi-year recession um, and, and times aren't good. The feeling that I get when I'm out there is people are doing okay. There's the odd person that, oh, I lost my job. They're not going to be thinking about pest control that's okay. I don't want to sell them pest control if they can't afford it. And if it's going to strain them, it's not something that they absolutely need and they should prioritize other things. But for the most part, people, you know, they had money in their pocket. They're no longer going to restaurants. They're no longer traveling. That's going to unlock a ton of budget. They're no longer commuting, spending money on gas. Um, and yeah, they're home all the time. They're seeing, Hey, I've got some ants outside versus if you work 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week, you have no idea what's going on in your home. You have no clue. You don't spend time in the backyard. You're not out there on a Wednesday afternoon when the sun's up and the ants come out. So you're not aware of the problems that you have. But then all of a sudden you're home all day. The problems, you're going to see them more. And they're also going to bother you more. You're going to you know, notice if you've got mice. You're going to notice if things are killing your grass. Um, we do mosquitoes, which is a good service out here because people are spending a lot of time on the back deck and they're getting eaten alive and you come along and offer to get rid of the mosquitoes, they're, they're happy to, instead of spending money on restaurants, because they can't do that anymore, get the backyard sprayed and be able to barbecue all summer. Yeah, if you can get rid of mosquitoes, people will absolutely hand you over as much as you ask. And it is funny <laughs> yeah. you mentioned that before, because I think the most recent stat came out where Canadians have over 200 billion in savings right now. It's a record high. And obviously, this pandemic's hit different groups of people. You know, there's disproportionate throughout, you know, uh, your social class, but there are a lot of people with a lot of excess money from a lack of discretionary spending, you know, that money that would go to restaurants or that would go to going out clubbing, you name it. And it's just sitting in their pockets. And if you can provide a tangible service, like pest control is, it's a tough one. Cause like you need, there's times where you need it. If you got a mouse in the house, like you need pest control. You can't like, that's, that's disgusting, but you know, for the person who's on the brink, you know, maybe I got a few ants, not a big deal, but I got this money to spend, you know, sure, let's do it. So I don't know if you're able to like talk about this and how things work, but um, are you seeing like when these people have all this money um, materialize and people have more savings just driven by primarily by less spending? Are you seeing people allocate that into investments and really ramp up their contributions? Or are you seeing people just save it and, and spend it and continue their investments as usual. So you'd be surprised. And 
it's more towards savings. Just the Canadian culture in general is we are savers more than we are spenders. If you were to look in the States, you'd see more people, you know, being a bit more aggressive in terms of spending. But in terms of in Canada, yeah, people do realize that, especially the younger generation too, they're starting to get more into investing, whether that be in uh, GameStop or in <laughs> just, you know, adding to their TFSA, starting to contribute to their RRSP. But for the most part, it's not too significant where they've realized that, you know, I could should spend this extra couple hundred bucks to improve on my retirement. But a lot of it is just going into savings, you know, waiting to spend again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting. What are you, do you find, I actually, I'm, this is just, this is off topic a bit, but it's just curiosity. How do you find like dealing with, because I have friends that are getting into, like everyone's an investor these days, right? Oh, yeah. Um, um, but I have friends asking me different things. How, how do you feel about kind of recommending things and taking that responsibility on of, you know, hey, you should invest in this or here's how you should allocate your assets um, and, and just, you know, that pressure of doing it on behalf of someone else. Because I have no problem investing my own money. For sure. Put it in high risk stuff. I'll, I'll throw down and see what happens. But I would never advise that to other people. And I always hesitate to even tell people what I'm investing in. For so, sure. Yeah, tell me. <laughs> For sure. That's a great question. And it is a big difference between, you know, talking to your buddy when in terms of what should I put my money in. But I've, you know, I spent my four years in university, you know, st- studying finance, studying investments. I've taken certificates that I can actually manage mutual funds for people. I can sell insurance products. I can recommend this stuff. So just with that, that prior experience, that certification, learning from people in the industry who've been doing it their whole lives, you just begin that confidence and you've just seen it enough where you can recommend it. And based on your knowledge and expertise, then you can decide that, you know, I feel confident in being able to recommend that this is what you should do based on your risk tolerance. And this is, you know, what I would recommend. At first, it was tough. I'll be honest. You know, when you first start, you are a little bit nervous. And I think that kind of goes for anything when you're just starting a business and you're trying to sell someone on your product. There is a bit of nerve when you haven't done that before, but just with repetition and not just increasing your knowledge and expertise, that's what comes with it. Actually, that does kind of segue into my next question I did have for you. And I know I've known you for a few years now, Will, and you've even mentioned it on this podcast. You're always looking to progress further. And I know you're a, you champion being a lifelong learner. And I know you probably read more books than anybody I know. So can you just talk about the importance of, you know, always educating yourself, always progressing and moving forward? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like the way I look at it is there's a few different types of education and learning, especially once you um, leave, leave the school system, which I know I've been pretty, you know, vocal about and critical of, of the current academic environment and how it's teaching people and how I don't think it's effective. But I think in order to really like get an effective education and to continually learn, I look at, I try and consume lots. I read lots of books. I listen to podcasts, things like that. I try and read every single day um, and keep studying and learning from other people's experiences. I don't know who says the quote, but uh, a fool never learns. A smart person learns from their mistakes and a wise person learns from the mistakes of others. And I think that's where books come in really handy is instead of you know spending your life in an industry and making all the mistakes, you can just look at somebody else, 
see all the mistakes they made and at least you can avoid those pitfalls doesn't mean you're not going to make other mistakes along the way in fact it's pretty much guaranteed you will but you'll at least avoid those mistakes that have already been made so that's one type of learning which i'm i'm all for i'm big on big on books big on reading i recommend to all my employees books what they should be reading i give them books things like that i have a very large book collection but any other type of, of learning that I like is very experiential. I like to just throw myself in the deep end. And my business partner, Reese, always says, we're just mammals that need food, water, shelter, and to reproduce. And that's that. There's no reason to get so stressed out about this missed opportunity, that missed promotion, societal expectations of where you should be. Um, there's nothing wrong with just diving in and falling flat on your face. You're going to survive. Things are going to be okay. You can pick yourself up and do it again. And along the way, it, it may be extremely painful and it does suck to make certain mistakes, which I've made. Um, you learn from them and you become a, a wiser person. And I look back on my experiences and kind of how my life's progressed so far. And I'm extremely thankful because I was able to get into an industry that I liked, a job I liked, and progress all the way through from the bottom to the top and get to an extremely high earning bracket that you'd normally expect in typical industries not to hit until later in your life. And for me, I hit that soon and was able to discover, hey, you know what, making a bunch of money is fun. You know, I'd eat at restaurants pretty much every day. Um, I was living in Vancouver. We had a nice condo right on the ocean, company car, like you name it. I was living good. I was spending lots of money. I had, I'd never done a budget in my life. Um, I just always made enough money that I, I could just spend within reason and not really think about it. And I just realized that's not really for me. And I'm thankful that I didn't spend 15, 20 years in another industry of finally working my way up to partner or whatever it is, making a few hundred grand a year and then realize, hey, I'm not happy, but would have built a lifestyle where you know I've got a mortgage, family, vehicles, all these things where all of a sudden you've built yourself into that lifestyle and a dependency on that income stream and you can't jump away from it. I was in a position where I was making lots of money, but I also had no obligations. Like I wasn't paying for my condo. I wasn't paying for my vehicle. I moved out to Vancouver with a suitcase. When we came to Calgary, we just threw our stuff in the back of a rental car and drove here. Um, it was a very quick, easy decision, no financial obligations and was able to go from, you know, living large and spending money to spending close to zero and living as pretty much as cheap as you can live um, using coupons, things like that. I'd never used one of those before um, and, and transition into that lifestyle at a point where I was still super young and it wasn't game over and I hadn't wasted a bunch of my life. I'd just done it so fast. And I'm so thankful that as painful as that lesson was that I learned that in my early twenties and not at 45. Um, so there's that kind of learning too. And I think the faster you can push yourself and the deeper water you can get into and, and swim with some bigger fish and get yourself in a little bit of trouble. I think that's actually positive in the long run, even if it may not feel positive at the moment that's a great answer and uh, i love that first quote by um by unknown whoever said that that's fantastic because that's the same way i feel about when i read books because it's either you're 
you're reading the memoir of someone and you learn all their life lessons or you're just reading like a story in another part of the world and like transports you there and it's something you don't really get from your day-to-day -day life that's why i feel like uh, reading books like grabbing and borrowing knowledge from other people um so you also mentioned that you had like this great appreciation for how difficult it is to build a business and all the trials and tribulations you have to go through and you constantly learning to improve upon the business but what do you do to relax or like i know you got to chill out at some time because especially in this past year with the crazy year it's been mental health has been at the forefront of a lot of people's focus i'm curious you chose to build out a whole new business during this pandemic like and you've been working crazy hard like what do you do to kick back and relax and like and just kind of balance it all um, yeah, so for me, my main thing is reading. I can always sit and polish off an entire book on a Sunday without moving. And that's pretty much my favorite state to be in if I'm not working. I also like to snowboard. I got a season's pass at Lake Louise, which is two hours from Calgary. And growing up as an Ontario kid, I, I snowboarded and skied my whole life. And, you know, the hills just aren't the same. That's exactly what they are in Ontario is their hills out here this is world class right it's gondola skiing it's deep snow um it's it's just a totally different experience so i love just getting out to the mountains the drive out's fun the day there's fun um that's a great way for me to kind of decompress and i also like to walk um it's kind of a weird hobby i feel a bit like an old person when i say that to people um but walking for me it's such a, a nice activity and whenever i get free time I can really get excited about you know if we're done work early or if you know we don't have to start till a bit later one day um, I'll go on a long you know couple hour walk just along I live on the river so I'll walk along the river um, walk downtown go see things look at the mountains and just take some time to think and, and clear your mind which is it's a nice break from running a business which I find is a very gut-wrenching anxiety-inducing experience where you're constantly worried and am I going to be here next month? You know, where's rent coming from and making big decisions on a daily basis. It's nice to just not have to think about things. So yeah, I'd say those three are my, my top activities. Man, people sleep on walking big time. I know I talked to Mike with Mike about it quite a bit. And I know I, I like just going on a quick walk, listening to an audio book, but you'd just be surprised, especially if it's a pretty nice day out and you're walking amongst nature 20 minutes, 30 minutes go by and your mind is absolutely racing with thoughts. You're just thinking about everything, but then you can also be thinking about nothing. It's, it's slept on and more people should just go out. It's stay active, go for a walk. Yeah. Reason I, when, when it was, when it got really cold here, so we had a cold snap in January, I think it was, and it was pretty consistently like minus 30 to minus 40 which being from Ontario, I'd never experienced that. And we were, we like to walk every day. We we're working from home, um, doing a lot of computer work. So you kind of have to get out of the house. We didn't have an office at that point. So you got to leave once a day and we'd bundle up. I'd put, you know, sweatpants under my pants, double socks, and pretty much all the clothes I could get on, uh, wrap ourselves up and we'd walk down about 250 meters and back. And by the time you got back, your face would be all red. You know, you'd be feeling some frostbite starting. Um, but even in those conditions, it's still nice to get out and have some fresh air and just think about things. And walks are the goat. And I even slowly stopped taking them once it got colder. Um, and I feel like I have no reason to make an excuse because we had like minus 15, but we weren't dealing with no minus 30, minus 40. But like, 
I felt immediately once I got in back into that routine of just walking on a daily basis, like everything about my day feels better, my mental and all of that. And uh, I don't even know if it's slept on Ang walks or because like, man, I know Einstein, that guy's pretty smart. He used to take hella walks and just like all of this stuff would come together on the walk. I know Steve Jobs used to go on a lot of walks in this neighborhood. He also used to just drop LSD and go on walks in like India, like something about walks and maybe a combo of other stuff seems to like really, it's a place where the brain can, I don't know how, a lot of people have either great ideas in the shower or great ideas on walks. There's just something about it that are great, but moral of the story, 20 minutes a day, people get your exercise, get out there, um, look at the sun, look at the clouds, look at whatever you got. It's much better than being in here all day. Uh, definitely. A little I, rant on walks. <laughs> you're preaching. I agree more. Blue, you got anything else? No, I gotta, I gotta jump to another call actually right now. Um, but you guys wrap it up, Willie. Thanks so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure. Hey, thanks. That was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. You guys could still banter. I just, I yeah, I really gotta go to this call. Peace. All right, easy. I guess we'll end it off on that note. Will, it was a pleasure. Thank you for jumping on the call today and all the best with Standard Pesco and future endeavors moving forward. Hey, thanks, Ang. Easy, brother.